Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. This week, lead pastor Matt Dean concludes our summer series with a look at Psalm 145. I want to welcome you. Uh, This is an exciting season of uh, life in Auburn, and as we anticipate welcoming students back and hopefully a a somewhat more normal year, uh, we are finishing a series that we were working through the summer called You Are So I Will, looking at different psalms throughout Scripture where people were declaring, this is what is true about you, God, so I can live accordingly. And my heart for us this summer is that Regardless of what we see or fear or feel, that we can look at the unchanging, perfect character of God. And we can look at the words of David and we can hear the anguish in his heart, and yet there's always a turnaround in these words where despite his circumstances, he will say, but I will trust you, I will seek you, I will lift up your great name, I will magnify your great name, and I want that to be true of us. That we can be honest with God and one another about what's going on in our lives, we can feel all the feels, we can fear our, all the fears, we can, we can be human, and at the same time, in light of the goodness and greatness of God's character, we can say, but I will, so I will. In light of what is going on in my life, in light of your great, unchanging character, I will walk in faith. But what happens when we as Christ followers lose sight of God? We will seek out and be satisfied by lesser things. We all, we all do it. I do it, you do it. And what's at stake when we lose sight of God is we lose sight of who we are. We lose sight of our primary identity in Christ. When we lose sight of God, we we lose sight of our primary strength and source for living. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. When, When we lose sight of God, we begin to look and be fascinated by lesser things. We all do it. And we settle for crumbs at the table rather than feasting with the king. And this morning, I want us to come back to the goodness and greatness of God. And I want to do that in such a way just to remind you, this is the world in which we live. And the world in which we live, the cultural narrative of our day says this, there is no truth, but your truth. So you do you. I'll be me. That phrase, your truth is so dangerous because it bases truth on an opinion rather than what's actually objectively true. That's what we live in. In this day. So, your truth is not the truth, and your feelings are not your authority. They will lead you astray and lead you away from God. The same is true for me. We live in a day that says if you feel it, you should probably do it. If you think it, it definitely means it's true. If you want it, it is yours by right. Right? We live in a day where it says, if you question it, then all your questions bear out authority. And so you can question anything and everything, and whatever you think about anything and everything is absolutely true, kind of. It's your truth. It's your conclusions based on what you think might be true. And here's the thing, that will implode on itself. Our culture will implode on itself because nothing means anything anymore except what it means to the one. But that's not the gospel narrative. God saved a people for himself, not a person. And we have an eternity with him that's defined by what he's done and he's accomplished. And thankfully, eternity's focus is not you or your truth or me or my truth, but the king of all kings and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess you are true, truly true. And so in the gap of our everyday life, I understand being distracted. 
I understand being anxious and fearful. I understand the COVID situation that's constantly in flux all around us. I understand disappointment, and I wish it would be this way, but it's, it's not this way. I understand all those things. I just want to humbly say to you this morning, are you getting distracted? And is something standing in the way of you seeing, remembering, beholding, and enjoying the greatness of God? Because if it's true that you are distracted or I am distracted, we will seek out and be satisfied by lesser things. Now, here's the heart of a perfect father who sent his perfect son. Please don't. The heart of a perfect father, when he sees his children run away, is the moment his children realize that, he runs down the road to welcome them home. And in Luke's gospel, when we see this wayward son go, what am I doing? We also see the scandalous sprint of a father who's filled with compassion this morning. So don't buy into the lie that if you've drifted away from God, that somehow he's unable or unwilling or uninterested in you. He's interested in you. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. He knows every word before you speak it. Before it's on your tongue, he knows it. He knows every thought. He knows everything. He knows you. And he knew all things about you before you knew you. And for the joy set before him, he sent his son, Jesus, to redeem you. So your sin is not an excuse to turn back to God. He has paid your debt in full. And if that's you this morning, if you've wandered away, or if you just don't care, would you just slightly pivot in humble repentance back to the God who can redeem you and satisfy you? and set you free from the self-imposed handcuffs you put on your life. David knows that well. And this is what David says in Psalm 145. He says, I will extol you, my God and King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will med meditate. This is who you are, so I will meditate. Your character, my response, so I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. Your deeds are awesome, so I'm going to talk about it. Your deeds are great, and I'm going to speak of it. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom 
is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion, your power, your authority, it endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. There's a tradition in some Jewish circles that, that Israel, Israelites would recite this three times a day. And the way this is written is an alphabet of praise. So Psalm 145 has a consecutive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So this was part educational for them. This was part mnemonic for them. But they, they would speak this, some of them at least, three times a day because as they go through the Hebrew alphabet, they would remember and recount all the ways that God was true, morning, noon, evening. They would say it three times a day. I'll be honest with you. If you read this three times a day, before breakfast, before your lunch meeting, and before you went to bed, it probably would change the way you think about God because you just can't go through your day and read this and go, well, you're faithful in all your words and kind in all your words. I'm probably, you know, not. And, and I want us to think about the, the value of God's word. Not, as, not out of duty, not out of if you do, then you're really a better Christian, but really just what's at stake when we don't? And what joy is lost when we, when we don't hide it in our heart? And this is just as much for David as it is for you to remember what is true about God. These things are true about God, whether David says them. They've always been true about God. But for David's own joy and his perspective, he had to say, I will extol you, God. I will speak of the glory of your kingdom. I will tell of your glorious might. You are actually faithful in everything you've done. You're kind in everything you've said. And I'm bowing down and you're gonna lift me up because I know that's true of you. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, how's it going in your own life? Again, not to shame or condemn or, to, or even to correct you necessarily, although correction may be needed, but just to say, does the word of God produce joy in your life? Does the word of God offer perspective in your life that you perhaps are missing? Tim Keller, he, he says a wonderful reminder. He says this, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. You do you. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, you're such a sinner, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and also radical, unconditional commitment to us. It's both, truth and love. 
And I want us to, together to push back against the thought of you do you and let your truth be your truth. If we look at the first few verses of Psalm 145, this is how he says it. I will extol you, my God and King, and I will bless your name for every, every and ever. I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. There is a determination in David to say, I will. This is who you are, so I will. So I want you to think practically. What does your day look like? And do you wake up and say, I will extol you, my God and King? Is that the first thing you do? Or do you pick up your phone and your phone will remind you what the first thing it is you do? Upon first pickup, what do you do? It's a good question. He says this, great is the Lord, that is who you are, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable, greater than I can comprehend. So here, here's a little pushback against God is boring. He's unsearchable. And if you're bored with him, it's because you're just not looking. His creation is awesome. And if you don't see his handiwork in a flower or a tree or whatever happened last night in Auburn weather-wise, the crazy dry monsoon, if you don't see his strength and power, you're just not looking. And I want you to have eyes to go, God, I do want to see you in all creation. Every blade of grass, every hummingbird, every tree, everything I want to see. I want to see your beauty and creation in my daughter's eyes. I want to see the strength of your wisdom in my sons as they grow into men. I want to see your model for marriage as I realize I can't do this unless you do this in and through me. I want to see the beauty of your church and how it looks like so many different faces and people. I want to see you, God. David goes on and he talks about this model that is throughout Scripture. One generation shall commend your works to another. All right, that, that's not just a suggestion. It's our right and privilege. It's our duty and honor to say to the next generation, this is who God is. And today, we are here today based on the faithfulness and generosity of older Christians who have gone before us. And that fits. One generation shall commend your works to another. Next week, we're going to begin a new series through the book of Acts. And I've been reading about, oh, 3,000 pages to prepare and right now I'm reading this book called 30 Years That Changed the World. And in the opening line, he's talking about ditches, ditches and bridges. I need to be careful how I say that. <laughs> ditches and bridges to Christianity in the early church. I didn't mess up. <laughs> but he was making the observation that socially it was far, far more complicated and difficult to follow Jesus then. The things that stood in the way, even social pressures that stood in the way of people following Jesus was so much greater then than it is now. And yet it's still true. One generation shall commend your works to another, and they will declare your mighty acts. It's hard to declare what you don't know. It's hard to talk about the mighty acts of God if you don't know the mighty acts of God. So begin with yourself. This is what he's done in me but then begin with the faithfulness of God's work throughout history. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Is anyone struggling these days with focus? Be honest. Where it's like for you to sit down and meditate 
on the wonderful works of God takes like 18 cups of coffee, you know, because we're just so, so scattered in our minds. A few weeks ago, I was on vacation, and honestly, it took me about 10 days to stop thinking about email and to stop picking up my phone. It took, it took some time for my brain to slow down from do all these things. We need time. We need solitude and stillness to think about the wonderful works of God. They will speak of your awesome deeds, and, and I will declare your greatness. There's a determination in David's heart to say, they're going to speak about it, but I'm also, I'm also going to say it. They're going to pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and they're going to sing aloud of your righteousness. In verse 80, says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Can that be described of me, of you? Are you slow to anger? Are you gracious and merciful? And here's, here's where the gospel comes into this situation. Lord, I have not been gracious. I have not been merciful. I've been rapid to anger. And Jesus, that's not you. So I, I am asking by grace through faith that you make me slow to anger and gracious and merciful. Here's this promise. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I want to just speak some truth because I, I recognize that there are people in our congregation, I know that there are some people watching this morning that are in very difficult circumstances. I mean, where it's just like a solution is needed. There's no solution. Medical wisdom and intervention is needed, and there's no medicine. There, a miracle breakthrough is needed, and so far it's just not happening. Can I still just say the Lord still is good to all? And his mercy is over all that he has made, even over people that are struggling to live. He is good. And later on in this, there's a promise. Not only is he good, but he is near. And sometimes when life is not good, he feels far, far away. But that's not true. He's good and he is near. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 86, 15, it says it this way. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the story of God throughout Scripture. In Nehemiah chapter 9, it says this. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. We see that same pattern unfold in the early chapters of Romans. People have gone astray over and over again, creating and celebrating more ways of doing evil, and there is no hope for righteousness apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the exact same true. We see the precedent of that in Nehemiah before later we see that in Romans. Psalm 103, it says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Do you fear him? Not like, but is there a deep sense of reverence and awe for him, for his name, for his kingdom, for his power, for who he is to you? Is there, is there a place in your heart that's just reserved for him for you to really think about what he's done? Really think about what he's done for you. But if he could look into that part of your heart, would he see respect? Would he see awe? Would he see fear? God, there is no one like you. Continue to look. Joel chapter 2 says this. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your what? Heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This next passage is in, in Psalm 145 is talking about the goodness of his kingdom. And we go back, the camera lens pulls back. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. We're going to see that in the weeks ahead as we work through Acts. The power of God to break down significant barriers where people in the end go, Jesus is Lord. We're going to see a God of power and of presence in the weeks ahead as we look at what he did in the early church. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. And they will make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. In these last verses, David is saying, I'm going to praise you for your gracious goodness. Let's listen to these. He says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. The thing that convicts me often is kind in all his words. Isn't that troubling? And I'm not some mean grouch all the time. But there are some moments where I'm not kind in my words. Anyone else relate to that? Tired? Just out? You know, he never sleeps or slumbers. He never grows weary. He literally is always kind in all his words. He is absolutely faithful in every work, including the work on you. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Remember earlier where it's the Lord is good? He's good to all his mercies over all that he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him. And so I want to gently challenge whoever it is that feels like God is not present. Have you, have you, oh suffering one, called on him? 
Have you called on him? Because his word and his promise is, I am near to anyone and everyone at any time who calls on me. That's his promise, secured and anchored, accomplished and paid for by Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the grace in which you stand, because of the perfect, complete work of Jesus, struggle with you might and sin, if you call on me, by grace through faith, I am near because of what Jesus has done for you. And so whatever it is you're struggling with, just know this, if you call on him, he's there. The reality is, he's there. Psalm 139 said, he knows everything, he can do anything, and he is everywhere and knows everything about everything all the time, forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. He is there. And for those who call on him in truth, here's a practical way you can do that. God, I am struggling. I am discouraged. I don't want this diagnosis. I don't want to feel the way that I'm feeling. So I will call on you in truth. And here's me calling on you in truth. Truth is you're near. Truth is you love me. Truth is you died for me. Truth is you rose from the grave for me. Truth is you've given me eternity and promised a new body that will never hurt or struggle or feel the way it's feeling right now. So the truth is, even if in this life I'm suffering in the next life, my forever life with you, I'm gonna call on you in truth and I'm gonna discover that everything is right in the end because of what you have done. And my longings that have gone unmet and my, my hopes that have not yet been fulfilled, in truth, my real hope is in you. That's the truth. That's how I know I can call on you and that you're with me in truth. And his promise is he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Acts chapter 17, there's an explanation that says that God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far for any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Isaiah chapter 55, it says this, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The Lord does fulfill the desires of those who fear him. The Lord does hear their cry and saves them. The Lord does preserve all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. In this last verse, David says it with resolve. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever. I want to challenge you this week to do something. If you have a car and you're a driver, okay, I want you to boldly worship Jesus in your car. I mean, just shout it to the rooftops. And if someone rolls up next to you at a red light, they're going to be like, huh, what the, what? They must be getting after it. I, I, I want you to, I want you to discover the joy that happens when you speak and sing and celebrate Jesus. Don't just think about it. It's like silent prayer. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes we just fall asleep, right? I want you to speak it out because David says, my mouth will speak. In other words, it's not my mouth will 
No, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. He's joyfully singing. We're not going to do this, but David, some things about David are interesting. At one point, he was so passionate about worshiping God, he took off his clothes and ran down the street. You'll get arrested. Don't do that. (laughs) But at a minimum, I think we can turn up the volume in our hearts or in our home or in the car or in our room or in our earphones and say, just like David, my mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord. So as we wrap up this morning, let's think about some you are, so I will statements. You are great and greatly to be praised. So I will, ready for this, praise you. You are great and greatly to be praised, so I will praise you. You are gracious, so I will be gracious to the people in my life. You are merciful, so I will, by your life inside of me, be merciful to the people in my life. You are slow to anger. By the life of Christ in me, I will be slow to anger with the people in my life. You are abounding in steadfast love, so with the life of Christ within me, I will be steadfast in love. You are good to all, so with the life of Christ in me, I will be good to all. You are glorious in your splendors. I just, I will look, I will look to see your splendor in the world. You are everlasting, so I will live with eternity in mind. You are rich in power. Your dominion is strong, so I will remember who's in charge. You are faithful in all your works, so I will trust in your grace when I am struggling. You are faithful in all your works, including the cross of Christ for you, so I will trust in your grace when I am struggling. You are kind in all your words, so I will depend on you and abide in you to be kind like you. You are faithful to the falling, so I will let you raise me up when I fall. Anyone give themselves a timeout? Uh, I'm going to pay God back for the stupid thing I just did, time frame. What it says is he will raise up those who are bowed down. And the best part of repenting is how quickly you do it. So don't, don't time out with God until you get over your own guilt. Go to God with your guilt. Confess the very wrong thing you did and be confident that his grace is adequate for you and ask him to give you a greater love for him than that thing. Change my heart, oh God. You are the only one that can truly satisfy, so I will seek you first. You are righteous in all your ways, so I will remember the finished work of Jesus for me. You are kind in all your works, so I will remember by grace through faith that you live in me, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are near to all who call on you, so I will call on you. You are fulfilling the desire of all who fear you, so I will demonstrate my respect for you. You are hearing the cry of those who need you, so I will call out to you in my distress. You are preserving all who love you, so I will remember that my eternity is with you. You are worthy, so I will praise you. This morning we're going to take communion in a moment, but I want to just kind of prepare you to think this through. 
Jesus stood in the gap between you seeing the greatness of God and you fearing and being tormented your whole life. I mean, he stood in the gap and opened the way for you to see the greatness of God. And so if you are following Jesus, then you have every confidence that you will see the greatness and glory of God and be with him forever. But if you are not following Christ, if you have not trusted in him as Lord, as Savior, as the great Redeemer of your life, you will also see the greatness and glory of God, yet you will not be with him. And so I want to invite you today to put your faith in Jesus so that it's not just that you will see his greatness and awe, but that you will be comforted and welcomed by the greatness of who he is. And that all hinges on his grace shown to you through your faith, your trusting, your leaning, your abiding, your enjoying faith in Jesus forever. And so what stands in the gap for people that don't see the greatness of God is that they will be without the greatness of God forever. I want us to pray this morning that we would be people that not only see the greatness of God, but by grace through faith in Jesus, we would savor the greatness of God and be safe in that. Would you pray with me? Thanks again for listening this week. You can find out more about Grace Auburn Church online at gracealburn.church.